Good morning, church. Today's reading is from John chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 18 and read through to 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. Thanks, Laura. Uh, Let's talk to God and ask his help as we reflect on this passage together. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the Gospel of John. Thank you for John himself, whom your spirit inspired to write this down, and that it's been preserved down through the centuries, uh, again by your spirit, so that we can uh, engage with these words in our own language here and now, and hear afresh uh, the Lord Jesus speaking to us personally, so that we might uh, grow in our faith and our love for him. And we pray this it, uh, this would be the case for us this morning. Amen. Uh, in his award-winning book, uh, Being the Bad Guys, Stephen McAlpine observes that over the years, uh, Christianity has shifted in the eyes of the Western world. Uh, it's shifted from being the good guy, you know, the solution to what was bad, to just one of the guys, you know, one option among many. Uh, if it works for you, that's fine. If it doesn't, well, that's fine too. To actually shifting now to being the bad guy, the, the problem, the hater of diversity and inclusive, inclusivity and love and peace. Uh, Stephen then in the book goes on to offer some very helpful thoughts on being the best bad guy possible uh, as Christians. The why, the how uh, and the what, you know, what we might be going do, what we might do going forward in a world that hates us and thinks that, that, that we're the bad guys. But as Stephen acknowledges in his book, being the bad guys is nothing new for Christians, certainly not down through the ages. As Jesus says as much, and you might have picked up in the passage that we just read, right? 
But before we take a closer look at uh, those words of Jesus, let's get up to speed where we are so far in the story in the Gospel of John. So, so far, we're coming to the end of the story uh, of Jesus, according to John. And up to this point, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. Jesus has been scooting to this and that place, doing incredible miracles and signs, like turning water into wine, healing a man who's been paralysed for 38 years, feeding thousands on a few fish and loaves of bread, walking on water, healing a man who was born blind, raising a dead guy back to life. Uh, and in the process of all this, he's been getting the religious authorities their backs up. They're jealous of him. Uh, jealous of his power, jealous of his popularity, and they're planning to get rid of him. And that's where we're up to, basically, in John. Indeed, it's actually the night before their plans come to fruition and he's crucified. Just hours away from being betrayed and arrested. That's where we are. And Jesus is with his disciples. He's no, he knows all that's going to happen. And He's not focusing on himself as much as on them. He's caring for them, trying to prepare them for what's coming next. Not just for the next couple of days or maybe even the next few hours, uh, but for the years to come. Telling them that no matter what happens, as they remain in him, that is trust in him and love him, God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit will always will be, be with them and incredibly in them. They'll never be alone. And as such, they'll bear amazing fruit for Jesus. But it's going to be hard. Many will hate them and hound them because of him, because of Jesus, which is what we're looking at today. As Jesus goes on to tell them, two pretty simple things. Firstly, know the haters. Secondly, as you know and tell the truth. So know the haters as you know and tell the truth. So that's where we go. First up, know the haters. As Jesus says to his, uh, the 11 disciples that are left, Judas, of course, has nicked off into the night to plan his final betrayal of Jesus. And he says to the 11 remaining, Know this and don't be surprised. The world will hate you because of me. We read it earlier. Let's read it again. But he says to them, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. The world that Jesus is referring to here, it's, it's all those who are actively rebelling against God. And he's priming the disciples for this world's hate. Why? Because his disciples are annoying? Because their political and social views are out of date and moralistic? Is that why? No. It's because Jesus chose them doesn't matter which side of the political or social divide you land on. Jesus says the world is likely to hate you because you belong to him. It's a spiritual thing. The world Jesus is referring to here is a spiritual thing, a thing in opposition to God because it's jealous or afraid. Uh, jealous like the religious groups back in Jesus' day and the many religious groups, groups around the world today and afraid like the power-hungry governments back in Jesus' day, and the many power-hungry governments across the world today. And so Jesus tells his disciples, know this, keep it in mind, don't be surprised the world will hate you because you belong to me, not to the world, to me. You were once in the world, but I've wooed you and I've won you over. Your hearts are mine. They're with me, not the world, 
And in jealousy, even though those in the world might not see it that way, but in jealousy, those in the world will hate you and hate me because of you. And, and that was then and that is now. And also, Jesus says, the world will hate you because it doesn't know God. So in verse 20, he says, remember what I told you? The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours too. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they don't know the one who sent me. The disciples, they should expect people to treat them like they treated Jesus. Obedience from those who obeyed Jesus, but also persecution from those who persecuted Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus says it's because they don't know the God who sent him. They don't know God. And if they can't recognise that Jesus is from God, then they're not going to recognise anyone else or anything else that's from God. More, if they haven't recognised Jesus as from God, but over and above that hated him as something threatening them, threatening their life and threatening their way of thinking, then anyone who's linked in with him will be treated like he was. And all this stems not from a reasoned and well-thought-out objectivity, but because they don't know God. Know him, not just as an idea, but know him as a person. Imagine you see an uh, abandoned bike, and day after day it's still there. It never moves, the grass grows taller around it. Would it be a problem if you took it? Probably not, not really, finders keepers, right, and all that. But what if I told you uh, it was in your neighbour's front yard? Well, that's different, right? You wouldn't take it then, would you? Uh, that'd be stealing, because you know your neighbour, right? Well, a bit like this, Jesus says people can't see he and his disciples are in God's yard, so to speak. They don't know they belong to God, so they think they can do whatever they like with Jesus and his people. They'll treat Jesus' disciples just like they treated Jesus because they don't see they're from God, because they don't know God who lives next door, so to speak. So, so the world will hate Jesus' disciples because it first hated them, him and because it doesn't know God and who belongs to him. But Jesus also says they'll hate the hate will actually be without reason, good reason, as Jesus observes from those in his day. In verse 22, he says, if I, come to you, if I had not come and spoken to them, the them there is the Jews, and particularly the religious authorities in the, at the day, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I hadn't done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. Now, this is a sh pretty shocking thing for Jesus to say, that the religious authorities of his day were so hell-bent on hating Jesus that they ended up hating the God they claimed to, re to represent. But they've got no excuse. They heard and they saw what Jesus did and said, incredible things that clearly point to him being from God, but they just can't or, or they just won't see it. And so they fulfill what God already anticipated in the Bible or in their law, as it's called here, as Jesus says, verse 25, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law, just, you know, niggling a little bit more, their law. They hated me 
without reason. Yeah, the Jews, back in Jesus' day, they had more than enough to go on to accept Jesus, that he's from God, and to trust him. And what did they do instead? They persecuted him. They looked to kill him. Their hatred was without good reason. And God knew this was always going to be the case, and still does. Like uh, Andrew Thorburn is a good example, recently, who in October was appointed the Essendon Football Club CEO. You might have seen this in the news, only to resign a day later after the media attacked him for being a leader in a church that believes the Bible. A church that historically held to certain unpopular views concerning human sexuality and its expression, despite its his um, impeccable work history as a leader in other secular spaces, the board ended up accepting Andrew's resignation, saying this. This is not about vilifying anyone for their personal religious beliefs, but about a clear conflict of interest with an organisation whose views do not align to all with our values as a safe, inclusive, diverse and welcoming club. Except it is about vilifying personal religious beliefs, because Andrew couldn't continue as CEO for the very reason that he holds a leadership role in his home church. The club claims to value being a safe, inclusive, diverse and welcoming club up until the point it seems that you're a Christian. Then it's not so safe, inclusive, diverse or welcoming. Whether it's in the Old Testament law or the standards our own society has, then and now people are just inconsistent They can't keep their own rules, let alone God's, and as such, often their judgments are either hypocritical or just muddle-headed. So it's, it is, so it is that the world's hatred of Jesus and of his disciples is, is muddle-headed. And even evil. As Jesus goes on from uh, chapter 6 in verse 2, he says, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Now, the synagogue was like church back then, in Jesus' day. And everyone in those days went to church, went to synagogue. To be put out of the synagogue was effectively to be put out of society, uh, denied the benefits of being in a close-knit farming community. And Jesus says that's going to happen to his disciples, which it does. The disciples get hounded out of the synagogues, out of their towns. They're hated, chased down, imprisoned and or killed. Starting with Stephen in the Bible, in Acts chapter 7, you can read about it. The religious leaders stone him to death for speaking about Jesus, thinking he's blaspheming, and so they're doing God's work by stoning him. Now, while what Jesus says here firstly applies to the the disciples that he's speaking to there and then at the time, as they go on, as his apostles, to spread the good news about him, most of them suffer and die at the hands of those who hate Jesus. But what Jesus here... uh, says here of his disciples being hated by the world because it first hated him and because it doesn't know God and that his hatred was irrational and even evil, carried on down through the centuries for all Jesus' disciples. Indeed, it seems to be the norm for Christians. You might have heard of John Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a famous record of this hatred. It was first published in 1563. You can get a copy free on Kindle. Uh, just a couple of bucks as a paper copy, if you'd like. In it, the historian John Fox, he traces a history of hate from the early church in the first century through to the Reformation 
in the 16th century. It, it details disciple after disciple being persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, mutilated and murdered for their faith in Jesus. And of course the hate continues right up, on, up to the present day all around the world where Jesus' disciples are hounded and killed by irrational and evil haters daily. You can read about this through such groups as Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors and Barnabas Fund, which you can get daily prayer points from through Instagram and, and online. Like about just over a week ago in Nigeria, uh, Islamist extremists attacked two Sunday morning church services on motorbikes. They abducted 36 people, mainly women and girls, and they killed three men, Peter, Elisha and Ali our brothers and sisters. That was a week and a half ago. Or a government raid in North Korea in April uh, on several dozen Christians gathering in an underground church who were arrested and executed. That was April. And in China, just a week ago, where a house church minister uh, was arrested because he purchased some Christian books online and he's looking to be fined $21,000 for it. And that's the fine. Just happens that uh, Open Doors is part of an, an international day of prayer online this evening at 7.30. You can register for that on their website and you can join in with many other brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for those who are hated and hounded because of Jesus. As he promised. The reality is that here in Australia we don't face anything like the level of hate and persecution that we've just seen, right? But we're an anomaly. We're an anomaly in Christian experience and, in, and history. We might get a dusting in the press. They might get cancelled on social media. Some might lose their jobs, like Andrew Thornburn. But, and maybe others feel death stares and, and get angry words thrown at them as we don't join in on Wear It Purple Day at school or uni or Diversity Day at work. But even if we get worse than these, like our brothers and sisters in other countries, we shouldn't be surprised if we feel the hate. As Christians, we should expect it. We should expect to suffer and brace for it so that we don't fall away. As Jesus tells his first disciples, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Jesus, he cares about his disciples then and he cares about us now. Enough to tell us that this is likely to happen. The world will hate us so we're not to be scandalised, so scandalised when it happens that we fall away. Jesus, he knows to be forewarned is to be forearmed. That's why he tells us to know the haters and to know and tell the truth. Which brings us to the second point. To know and tell the truth, as Jesus promised his disciples would. They would know and tell the truth. Because, verse 26, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Advocate there, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, who is 
who, as Jesus told his disciples earlier, the Holy Spirit will come and live with them and incredibly in them, which is to have God living in them. But you might have noticed something in what Jesus says there of a movement within God himself towards the world. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've touched on the Trinity as Jesus has touched on the Trinity. Now, the Bible teaches that there is one God who is three persons, not three gods, but one unique God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, where the Father is entirely and utterly God, the Son is entirely and utterly God, the Spirit is entirely and utterly God, but the Father is not the Son and not the Spirit, the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. One God, three persons. And that God, the Son, was sent by God the Father as the man Jesus Christ, so that those who believe in Jesus, the Father and the Son, would send the Holy Spirit to live in them. Whose primary primary work, the Holy Spirit's primary work, particularly with the first disciples that Jesus is speaking to here, is to remind them of everything Jesus said and did while he was with them from the beginning of his ministry on earth. To then send them out as apostles, and you know what apostle means? It means sent one. Apostle just means sent one to testify to the world of all Jesus said and did, a testimony the Holy Spirit bears witness to through them, not only in what they said, but in what they wrote down, which is in the Bible, the very same Bible that we have in front of us now, which encourages us to go and make disciples of Jesus in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like uh, this play from uh, Manchester United a while ago where the ball just gets beautifully sent on from one player right to the next, to the next, into the goal. It's a beautiful play. As the ball is sent on and on and on. Well, in kind of the same way, the Father sends the Son, who both send, then send the Holy Spirit into those first disciples, who are then sent by Jesus as apostles to testify to the Son, as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, God the Son come to make God the Father known and then write it down in the Bible by the Spirit who in turn illumines the truth in the Bible which sends those who believe in Jesus by the Spirit to proclaim the good news of the apostles sent by the Son who was sent by the Father. Yeah? And as such, it's just a beautiful sequence of play of sending one after the other, such that for us now to bear witness to Jesus is to complete a sequence that the Father started in the Son by the Holy Spirit and ends in the Son by the Spirit. To testify to Jesus then is to bear witness to the Holy Spirit testifying through us. That means no matter how pathetic or weak or laughable it might feel and maybe even look to others, 
when we see someone sharing the hope that they have in Jesus, or we ourselves share about Jesus ourselves, we can be sure right there and then that the power of God is at work. That his presence right there and then is made manifest. More than at a moving church service where you get all the feels of God being with you, maybe in the music, maybe in the vibe, in the powerful message. More than this, as we bear witness to Jesus in a hostile world, there God is. And as such, we don't need to fear the hate of the world, whatever form it takes. We can be sure God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are with us and incredibly in us and powerfully at work in the world through us. So why wouldn't we want to know the truth of Jesus more in the Bible, inspired by the same Holy Spirit who lives in us, so that we speak it more to others? No matter how much the haters hate. Because as we do, we can know God with us and speaking through us, sending us. The best way to prepare to talk to people about Jesus then, it's actually to invest in knowing the Bible more. Perhaps even by doing some part-time formal study at a Bible college, like some here at church are already doing and planning on doing. Or maybe by doing extra study, uh, maybe one-on-one with someone here at church who's similarly interested. If you're looking for someone like that, come and chat with me. This is just a couple of ways to know the truth of Jesus more so that we might talk about it more. Jesus loves us. And he warns us, know the haters as you know the truth and talk about it. Now generally I think that those of us who know Jesus know that we should be talking about him more to people who don't know him. And we fear hate those who hate him and us because of him. Perhaps We've heard a bunch of different tips and and ways to go about doing that, about chatting about Jesus uh, down through the years. Maybe we've heard a bunch of different ways. Sam Chan's book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, it's helpful on this and it's an easy read. But, but perhaps technique is not so much the issue for us. Perhaps our issue is more that we forget God is with us and in us by the Holy Spirit. And he's powerfully working through us as we bring Jesus up in conversations and encourage people to consider the apostles' testimony to him in the Bible. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's been winning people like us over to Jesus four centuries through it. So we can trust the truth in it and trust it'll keep winning people over as the Holy Spirit so deems it. In the book I mentioned earlier, Sam Chan, he suggests a way to get people reading the Bible. Uh, it's by giving them a special copy just of the Gospel of John, the Gospel that we're going through together now, which you can find with other resources on that website that's up there, the word, one-to-one.com. And then, take the leap and ask someone you know, do you want to read the Bible? Who knows, they might say yes. And they might hate you. 
because of Jesus. But either way, the Holy Spirit is with us and in us and at work through us. And that is a thrill and a privilege. So I'm going to pray that that would be the case for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that Jesus loved his disciples and loves us enough to forewarn us so that we might be forearmed. Lord, we are aware that the world hates Jesus and hates those who are his. Particularly in other countries and other places where they don't enjoy the freedoms that we have here. Please help us to be mindful of them in our prayers, to be praying for them, for their courage, and for their faith, they might remain faithful to Jesus. But help us here in Australia, as the world becomes more hostile to you, to the things of the Lord Jesus, and to us as they see us linked in with Jesus, not to be scandalised, but to anticipate that hate and to know the truth well by knowing your word well such that we might bear witness to Jesus, the one sent by you, who with the Son have sent the Spirit into our hearts who sent the apostles out, who wrote down the message of the Lord Jesus in your word, inspired by your spirit, who lives in us that we might be sent out too to make disciples of those around about us at least, starting with asking if they would read the Bible. Grant us courage. Grant us good relationships that people might trust us as we seek to introduce them to Jesus and the wonderful salvation that you offer and promise in his name and the promise of knowing you as we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.